Welcome to this teaching from the Refuge Church online experience. We're happy you're listening. As a reminder, at the end of all of our teachings, you'll have an opportunity to participate in the biblical practice of communion. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, consider gathering the elements, such as a piece of bread or a cracker, and your beverage of choice, and take a couple of minutes at the end to remember and participate in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We also encourage you to do it with at least one other person, if possible. Thank you. So, I'm going to try to lay this out in as uh, the least complicated way as possible. But I want to. I want to. Um, I have my master's in social work, so I like developmental psychology and all that stuff is really interesting to me. And in developmental psychology, there's these uh, these different theories of how we develop. And a lot of them have stages in life, and that there's certain things you have to master in that stage to move on to the next. So, like, Erickson is, is one of these psychologists who developed a theory, and so stage one is trust versus mistrust. And there's certain, certain uh, mile markers that a child, if they're going to grow healthy, they have to have, they have to accomplish in that phase to move on to the next one in a healthy way. And then the next one is autonomy versus shame and guilt. And there's a new set of, of uh, skills, tasks, beliefs that have to be developed in that, in that phase. But here's the thing. You don't leave what you got in stage one when you enter stage two. You keep adding to yourself. It's sort of like when a baby is crawling and then they learn to walk. All of, all of you in this room can walk, and I'll bet you all of you can crawl. You didn't stop, you didn't lose the ability to crawl when you started to walk, right? You gained a new ability. So I want, I want you to think, when, when we talk through this progression of how we relate to God, I want you to think of it that way. That, that it, it's a progression, but you don't stop with one phase and begin the next. It's like um, I was born a son, and then I grew up. And I became a husband, but I'm still a son. And now I'm a father and a husband and a son. And someday I'll be a grandfather, a father, a husband, a son. But I don't lose one to pick up the next. Okay? Does that make sense? So I want you to think of it that way. And I'm just going to spell it out for you right now. Uh, We're going to look at different pictures in the Bible of how we relate to God. And... um, the first, today we're going to talk about being uh, clay, that he's the potter and we're the clay. And then next week we're going to talk about how we're sheep and he's a shepherd. And then we're going to talk about how he's the master and we're the servant, we're the slave. And then we're going to talk about how we're sons and daughters and he's the father. And, you know, we talk a lot about that, but do you know that's not actually the ultimate. The fifth phase that he has for us is lovers. And there's, there's this, uh, this uh, acquiring of certain truths and beliefs and identity that has to happen in each phase. And I think a lot of times we share the gospel with people and we say, uh, we emphasize the son and daughter thing. And we get them saved as sons and daughters, but they've never experienced potter and clay. And I don't know that you have the right to be a son and daughter until you've walked through potter and clay and sheep, and shepherd, and servant, and master. You know, Jesus said to his disciples, remember in John 15, he said, no longer do I call you servants. 
For the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I called you friends. No longer, as in there was a time that he did, as in there is a progression here. There's a growth and a development that happens. And now, I want, I want you to think about this. Did they stop serving Jesus? Did Jesus stop being their master? They weren't, I know he says no longer, but they were still servants. I mean, Paul, I know he wasn't here for this, but Paul refers to himself as he's doing the ministry along with the apostles. He says he calls himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He's, he's acquired this friend label too, but he's, he's still a servant. You see how we don't leave one and, and become another, but I guarantee you, you can't really experience the fullness of friendship with Jesus until you've experienced serving Jesus. And, and so today I want to talk about the first stage. And I think this is how we need to come to God. This is where it starts. A lot of things when I, when I share different aspects, I, I really I like to say, oh, they're not in order. God can do any of them and all. This, I think, is in order. I do think this is in order. And then in a weird way, you're all of them the minute you get saved too. But, but there, you, you, the minute you get saved, you're a lover. The minute you get saved, you're a son of God. It's true. It is true. But it's like, okay, that's true, but it's not truth in your life yet. Or maybe the reverse. It's truth, but he's working it into becoming true in your life, if that makes sense. So today I want to talk about potter and clay. And the, I, if, if this were my developmental theory of Christian, the Christian walk, the, the skill that I think would need to be mastered in this phase is this. God's ownership, my surrender, and transformation. I don't want to talk too long because I want to get to the table and, and, and minister to one another that way. But I, I just want to talk for a few minutes today about the fact that we are clay and he is the potter. And we see this in Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 6. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because he did kind of have a lot of bad news for God's people uh, because they walked away from God. And so uh, if you can imagine, God is saying, okay, I need to get through to my people. I need, to, I need them to understand where they are in relation to me and where they need to be in relation to me. And, and, uh, and, and so he says to Jeremiah uh, one morning, he says, uh, it says this, the word uh, that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. He's the potter, we're the clay. So the first truth that we need to know here is that God made us. God made you. God made you. Isaiah 64, 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are the pot, our potter. 
We are all the work of your hand. We're all just a clump of clay without him. And I kind of like that, that, like, there's no hierarchy of mom clay. Dirt. It's like, I'm good dirt. You're, you're dirty dirt, but I'm good. No, come on. We're all equal. We're all a mess without Jesus. Anything good in your life, he worked it into you. You didn't pick your family. You didn't pick the skills that you have. You didn't pick your IQ. You didn't even pick your work ethic. All that stuff that, that came into your life, God did that. God worked that. Uh, without him, we're all just lumps of clay. There's a, there's a, uh, a funny joke about this. There's a, a scientist comes to God. You know, we've advanced quite a bit in the area of, like, uh, understanding DNA and cloning and all these sorts of things. And uh, the scientist comes to God and says, God, we're pretty sure we can make a better man than you can. We don't need you to make men anymore. We got this. And in fact, to prove my point, let's have a man-making contest. Scientist and God having a man-making contest. God says, okay, you're on. And uh, when God accepts the challenge, the scientist bends down and grabs some dirt, and God says, wait a minute, get your own dirt. (laughs) What ingredients does God need to make a work of art? Just give me some dirt. Like, the ugliest, messiest parts of my life. He's like, I can work with that. Just give me, just give it to me. And you know, the the thing God made you. You're you're a pot. He's the potter. I've never seen anyone walk up to a piece of art, a sculpture, and say, "That's a beautiful pot." That pot deserves a lot of credit for being beautiful. Wow, pot, you've done such a good job on yourself. Look at what you have made of yourself, pot. Wow, look at that canvas. It is gorgeous. I would, I, I would love to have a conversation with that canvas about what that canvas did to become so beautiful. The artist gets the credit. And if you think about it, in those days, pottery wasn't really made to um, sit on a shelf and look beautiful. There was a need, and the potter would make the pot to meet the need. So God has a purpose. He didn't make you and say, now what am I going to figure out what to do with this person that I've made now? I better come up with a destiny for that person. There was a purpose. And God said, I'm going to handcraft a unique vessel that is specifically designed to meet that purpose. So you don't get to choose what you were made for. You don't get to choose your destiny and purpose. 
I mean, you get to choose saying yes or no, but you were made for one thing. God had a purpose, and then he handcrafted you and wrapped you around it. So we don't compare. Have you heard that, that saying about um, if, if a fish tried to climb a tree, he'd feel like a failure? I can't remember it now, so that's what you get. <laughs> but think about it. I think we do that a lot, don't we? Where we look and we say, um, why can't I sing like I? Why can't I play uh, drums like Caden? Or, man, I wish I could speak in front of people like Jordan. Well, that's like a fish saying, I wish I could climb a tree like a monkey. You weren't designed to climb a tree like a monkey. That, that monkey wishes he could swim like you. And so you, there's purpose. You were made the way you're made because you were made to do something specific. And you'll never find true fulfillment until you do what God made you to do. Isaiah 29:16 says, "You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay that the thing made should say of its maker, He did not make me, or the thing formed say of him who formed it, He has no understanding. God does not know what he is doing. God says, "Hey, you've turned it upside down here. You think you made yourself? You think you did this?" God made you. Interesting in this stage of how we relate to God, it's an inanimate object. I don't know very many people that name their pots or love their pots. I know that sounds harsh. But, I mean, we say I love that pot probably, but, I mean, love the do you really love the pot? I think there's a, an important humility here that needs to happen. It would not be a, an injustice for God to take me out. God made me. It's not an injustice if bad things happen to me in, in the scheme of eternity. I don't deserve any of the good I've had. The next breath I breathe is more than I deserve. And we come to him in that place of humility saying, Lord, I'm just a lump of clay. Make me whatever you want me to make. make me. If, you, if you want me to be a janitor cleaning toilets the rest of my life for your, for your sake, it's more than I deserve. God made you. Second point is God owns you. God owns you. Jeremiah 10.23 I know, Lord, that our lives are not our own. We are not able to plan our own course. This isn't the only time that God compare, Jesus compares us to inanimate objects, right? Remember when Jesus said, uh, talked about the lost coin, the little old lady tearing her house apart for a lost coin? God made you, God owns you. And the value that you have is your usefulness to him. He owns you. The value that you have is your usefulness to him. It's not what's in your bank account. 
It's not how many followers you have on social media. It's not the ministry you have. Am I useful in the hands of the potter? Am I fulfilling the design the potter intended for me? There's a TV in the back there for them to watch. You know, we live stream the service. And they, they need the TV a little higher so they can see what's going on. And so we have a paint bucket. And then the TV sits on it. That bucket was not designed for that purpose. <laughs> and, that, and, 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 you know, actually that paint bucket could say, this is not what I had in mind. <laughs> but that bucket is very useful to us. And so it's succeeding at being the best paint bucket we have. Because it's useful to me. Wait a minute. I didn't sign up to change diapers. I've got a ministry here. Your ministry is to be useful to your owner. And whatever he calls you to do. I love the story when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Um, now, they all walk in, and we know that, like, in those days, the streets were nasty and dirty and filthy, and, and horses and camels or whatever they were riding, donkeys, whatever they were riding around on, they, I mean, their feet were nasty. And so every time you came into the house, there was somebody, a servant, that would wash your feet in sort of the, like, their mudroom. And they come into this house, and there's no servant there to do this task. And I guarantee you, every disciple, as they walked in, they noticed that. And they said, somebody should do this job. But all of them said, it's not what I was made to do. I was made to be a disciple. That is way below my pay grade. That is not what I was designed to do. I was designed to follow Jesus around and be his ministry team. Every one of them had that thought, I guarantee it. And then they see Jesus take off his outer robe, take the towel and the pot, and wash their feet. And the basin and the towel. And in that moment, they went, dang. God owns you, and your value is related to your usefulness to him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Paul's talking to a church that's got some messed up desires going on. Messed up behavior. People just doing whatever they want. Sleeping with their stepmom, all kinds of craziness happening in the church. And he's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't get to decide what you were designed to do. You were bought and paid for with a price. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're a vessel that carries the Holy Spirit. You were designed for a different task. It doesn't matter what you want to do with your life. You don't own yourself. God owns you. So be useful to God with your body. So God made you, God owns you, and God makes and remakes you. In, this, in the passage in Jeremiah, did you hear that part where it says, the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel. God has the right to remake you. 
You don't get to set the boundaries of what God can do with you or what God can ask you to do. Or, we, we take tests in this church sometimes, like get t- uh, uh, spiritual gifts tests and personality tests and some of you into the Enneagram. We might do that someday. I don't know. But I'm hesitant with that stuff because sometimes what happens is we say, this is the box Jesus can use me and this is how it was made. But he can remake you. And he should be remaking you. If you don't feel like you're being transformed, then you have to wonder, am I on the potter's wheel? Where am I? O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Not only does he have the right to remake you, he must remake you. He must do it. I'm trying to change my language. You know, forever I've just said, you know, I want to see people get saved. And I think we share the gospel as sort of this rescue, which it is, from eternal condemnation. Eternal damnation in hell. You were bound for hell because of your sin and he rescued you out of it. Yes, that is a part of the gospel. I'm trying to change my language, though. Instead of asking people who are saved, I want to start saying, are you born again? Because there's a transformation that has to take place. That old pot needs to be shattered, broken down, and made into something new. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Nicodemus said, hey, how do I get into the kingdom? He says, you've got to be remade. You've got to be born again. And being remade is painful. It's crushing. It does not feel good. But you shouldn't be discouraged by the crushing. Actually, I think you should be worried if the potter leaves you alone. Bob Sorge, uh, uh, an author and speaker, he has this beautiful talk about how God could have done Job worse. He could have left him alone. I know that some of you are in seasons of crushing. Be encouraged you're being remade. God wastes nothing. And if he wants to use every ounce of pain in your life for your remaking... Let him do it. It's worth it. Here's what I, I, I want you to see in your life. This is how I think of the, the big Christian word we use is sanctification. That's the remaking that's happening in your life. You're being transformed. And we don't have to wonder what we're being transformed into. It, it's very clear what we're being made into. So if, if we're a work of art, which Ephesians calls us God's masterpiece, think of it this way. The Father is the artist. The Holy Spirit is the paintbrush. You're the canvas and Jesus is the model. God is making you into Jesus. You will look like Jesus. When he's done with you, you will look like Jesus.
or just clay in the potter's hand. But uh, being clay in the potter's hand is not insignificant. I want to read you a little bit from this book called Run with the Horses. It's from Eugene. Uh, Eugene Peterson wrote it. It's sort of like a, a, a commentary on the book of Jeremiah. It's, re- it's a really good book. He says, do you realize how significant pottery is? The invention of pottery set off a revolution. Before pottery, there were only wandering tribes, following herds of animals, going from one food supply to another, forced here by drought, there by famine. There was no time to develop anything, no leisure to reflect on anything. It was hand-to-mouth existence, day-to-day survival. But the invention of pottery made it possible to store and carry. Then it was possible to stay in a place for a while because grain could be stored for next winter's meal and water carried. Then cooking could be done and merchandise transported. The invention of pottery signaled a revolution. And the revolution was what we call civilization, the Neolithic Age. Try to imagine how life would change if we had no containers in which to store anything. No pots and pans, no bowls and no dishes, no buckets and jugs, no cans and barrels, no cardboard boxes and brown paper bags, no grain silos and no oil storage tanks. Life would be reduced to what we could manage in a single day with what we could hold in our hands at one time. Pottery made it possible for communities to develop. Life was extended beyond the immediate, beyond the urgent. The practical impact of the invention of pottery is immense. But there is something else that is just as important. No one has ever been able to make a clay pot that is just a clay pot. Every pot is also an art form. Pottery is always changing its shape as potters find new proportions, different ways to shape the pots in pleasing combinations of curves. There is no pottery that, besides being useful, does not also show evidence of beauty. Pottery is artistically shaped, designed, painted, glazed, and fired. It is one of the most functional items in life. It is also one of the most beautiful. No one in Jeremiah's time ever put a piece of pottery on the mantle just to look at it, using it to give a touch of elegance to a bare shelf. But neither, and this is just as significant, did anyone use a piece of pottery just because it was useful. Always there was evidence of an artist's hand. This is the beauty of being clay in the potter's hand. He makes a pot. And then he fills the pot with himself. Second Corinthians 4, 7 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He wants to fill you. He's making you to fill you.
So God made you. God owns you. He can remake you. He is remaking you. And he's filling you. You'll never understand the beauty of adoption. You'll never understand the beauty of working for Jesus, the responsibility of being a servant. You'll never understand his leadership as a sheep with the shepherd until you first understand this truth. He owns me. I surrender my life to him. And he's transforming me so that I can be a container of his glory. I'm going to pray for you. And then, um, and then if, you, uh, if you have to go, I just want to say you're, you're welcome to go. We take communion every week. And uh, I invite you, for every believer in the room, you're invited to the table to come join us in communion. You don't have to be a member of this church. We just ask that you be a believer in Jesus. But if you have to go, you are free to go. If, you, if this is your first time and you want to get connected, by the way, there's a little card, should be a card in the seat back that says, I'm new or something like that. Fill that out and hand, hand it to the, the host, the person that greeted you when you walked in. They'll give you a, a coupon for a free, free cup of coffee. But let me pray. And then we'll just go to the table with our, with our needs. And here's what I want to I ask. As we go to the table, is there an area of your life you need to surrender to the potter? So what, what tends to happen in my life is the crushing starts to happen. The remaking process starts to happen. And I kind of say to the potter, Ooh, I'll take that. I'll take that. Let's just take that off the wheel. I'm not ready for that yet. And I hold on to it. So as we come to the table, you know, we're going to fill ourselves with a little bread and a little juice, like little clay pots being filled. But I just want to ask that question, and maybe that's what you can discuss at the table. Is there an area of your life you need to surrender to the potter? Lord, we acknowledge today There's nothing good in us but you. We're we're just a clump of clay. We were formless, void, useless without you. But you, God, you make works of art out of lumps of clay. So we just surrender our lives afresh to you today. We surrender to the remaking and the making. And we just declare, Lord, you you made us. You only make good things. And you own us. You can use us however you want. And Lord, we ask you, please remake us for your usefulness, for your purposes. And Lord, we beg you to fill us with your Holy Spirit and pour us out this week. In Jesus' name, amen.